That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. All right, Jake. Well, uh, I am full of a meal replacement shake. This episode is not brought to you by Soylent, but Soylent, if you're looking for something to sponsor... <laughs> Were your guys? I had the uh, chocolate one. It's delicious. I got so many vitamins and minerals. So I'm ready to talk about the Bible. Are you not not eating lunch now or something? Or what's, no. What's so what happens is I often have a hard time fitting lunch into my very busy schedule, and so uh, <laughs> it's true. I've never had that problem. Oh, uh, I mean, uh, I can make time, but I like I basically I have a drawer full of nuts and like trail mix and stuff in my office. Also <laughs> peanut M and M's. So I can hit that, uh, so I don't get hangry. But uh, but I figured it was maybe worth having something that was a little bit healthier around. Um, so yeah, I'm trying out the Soylent, uh, which I read about. It's like some guy in Silicon Valley that was just bothered by how inefficient it was to try to eat healthy because of all the cooking you had to do and shopping and buying special ingredients. And so he figured out how to put like everything you need into a drink. And so I've mm. I've got it here. I'm so I'm supercharged That's today. Amazing. I have uh, really figured out how to put all that I need into one slice of pizza, <laughs> and then I have another one just to wash that one down. So, Dude, uh, I love but uh, pizza so much. that we digress. Today we are um, here, and we are recording for proper twenty three. Um, I forget what day in October that is, but uh, our it's October thirteenth. That's Lucky right, Jeremiah twenty one verses one four through seven. 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 15, and Luke chapter 17, 11 through 19. And so some really good readings. But we come to Jeremiah chapter 29, and this really is um, kind of set in the midst of that lamentation, if you will. Um, there's some heavy things going on here, and, uh, and uh, Jeremiah has a vision. And what do you think about that, Aaron? Jeremiah has a bullfrog, Jake. Duh. Mm. Surprised you're not uh, more uh, up to date on your classic rock songs. Uh. Yeah, I'm just not a bastion of like just random references. I really feel like the JV team sometimes around you there, Aaron. Uh, well, but, um, my brain is filled with uh, a lot of useless things. Um, so, <laughs> Je- yeah, good. Jeremiah 29 is uh, uh, what we were sort of, because last week we were in La- Lamentations 3. And by the way, I got to say, for all you preachers out there that that are in the middle or, or, or launching or getting ready to launch your fall annual stewardship campaign, these readings are terrible. There's some years where it's like <laughs> it's all like really like guilt-inducing yeah. readings about giving money for God's purposes. Mm. You got nothing this year, so good luck with that. That's why we are doing a sermon series on the Book of Philippians. So, uh, are, are give, you for real? Give a yeah, give Calvary St. George's a uh, listen, and you'll hear a sermon series on the book of Philippians. Yeah, well, we're not so doing mission, that at St. Albans Waco. Mission but. immeasurable. 
Hmm. So, and we are in September and I already have it planned. That's how far out I'm thinking. Bro, get me you, a medal. You were so ready for that. I like, I pulled the <laughs> you trigger. You worthless slave, like, get back to work from last week's <clears throat> gospel reading. But Jeremiah chapter 29 is really, it's, um, it's a powerful reading in the sense that you have to remember in the context, there were false prophets who were saying, hey, listen, this is just going to be a short exile. What you actually, we need to be doing is taking control. We can't let Nebuchadnezzar, we need to show God that we're faithful. We need to show God that, never mind, we haven't trusted him, period, and us taking control is not trusting him at all either. Right. And so remember that this is just going to be a short exile. We need to cause a revolution, you know, and... Um, and, uh, and Jeremiah, the prophet of the Lord, has something different to say. Yeah. And he, first of all, reminds them that, um, uh, first of all, that thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So just in th- case you thought Nebuchadnezzar was in control and you now need to take control, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. I, Yahweh, am the one who has sent you into exile. Yeah, so what's incredible here is I think about, I'm reminded of when I went to college and I went to a godless Northeastern University, <laughs> uh, and uh, which used to be a seminary a long time ago, but long went mm. the way of uh, secular thinking. Uh, thanks, mm. Ralph Waldo Emerson. So, yeah. um, the as a you know Christian, how, you know how you know if someone went to Harvard, right? <laughs> don't worry, they'll tell you. <laughs> I didn't Keep say going. where, Jake. <laughs> you were begging me to ask. Uh, that. <laughs> Just don't kidding. hate me because I'm beautiful. So, so uh, in Jeremiah, um, well, so I'm so when I went to college uh, as a young Christian person. There was sort of this idea that I was supposed to go and maintain this very Christian identity so that I could be a light in the darkness of Cambridge, Massachusetts. And there was some behavioral and religious piety stuff that I was supposed to do to to be there, uh, you know. Um, and so uh, what's interesting is that Jeremiah is telling Jewish people who are now in a very pagan city, these religious people who've been exiled, He's telling them, in some ways, the opposite of what I was told. As a, I mean, he's, he's saying, don't fight the culture in some respects. And this is a very pagan city. There's statues of idolatrous deities all over the place. And um, the, the, the worship of this whole Babylonian pantheon of gods is just all over the place. And, um, and he's saying, he's not saying to give into that. He's not saying to worship idols and do that stuff. But he is saying, like, be good people involved in the community. Uh, uh, plan to stick around for a while. Marry, build your families, stay there, and seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. Um, yeah. Don't try to this be is- like, uh, there, there's always these Christian movements that try to be separate from the rest of the world. Yeah. But he's saying, don't separate yourselves. Like, be part of the fabric of it. Uh, get involved. Run for city council. Be on the school board. Open a business. Whatever. Be there. Live there. And uh, and it's it's yeah. it's not this um, like oppositional stance of like right. as you said, like leading a revolution or being a terrorist or kind of undermine it or sabotage it from the inside or being totally separate and like I'm not going to talk to any of these people. I'm going to stay in my little holy huddle. It's not that at all. It's getting out there and mixing it up. Right. That's and that's a very important point. Um, and we need to make a distinction. What what Jeremiah is not saying is start worshiping Molech and all of these different gods. He's not saying conform to the society, but settle within it. 
And really what you begin to see in Jeremiah 29, if you want to really touch on something, is the importance, the ordinariness of vocation. Mm. You know what I mean? And uh, and our calling as Christians in the midst of a foreign place, because we're foreigners in a strange land as well, as we await our heavenly home. And, uh, and so what, what God is essentially saying there is you're going to be there for a while. And so... Um, uh, live your life. And what you begin to see here through Jeremiah is that holiness in life looks awfully ordinary. Um, it looks like planting gardens. It looks like eating what you produce. It looks like taking wives and sons and daughters if you can. It looks like, you know, um, multiplying there. Um, but nonetheless, it also looks like um, seeking the welfare of the place where you live praying for it and uh, all of that and indeed that's the and indeed that is true but that's that's the ordinariness of holiness really that Jeremiah is describing here yeah and this is an attitude that has informed a lot of uh Christian movements in the last 20 30 years um certainly Tim Keller's idea in his church plant in New York City right near your backyard there Jake but a lot of people who are trying to grow and expand the church. It used to be in the 19th and early 20th century, if you wanted to be a true devoted Christian, you had to go out into the woods and start a Christian commune and separate yourself from the rest of the world. Uh, but building on 29 verse 7 in Jeremiah, a lot of people have said, no, as, as people who love God and care for the world, we need to be planted in cities and communities where people are and seeking the welfare of the city and uh, and not being weird Christian people, but being integrated and and part of the team, um, because and this is this is a new idea or a newish idea in the people of, for the people of Israel, because there's this idea in the ancient Near East where the gods that you the god or gods that you worship are sort of gods over the piece of land where you live, and to say you're going to build houses and plant gardens and be there. Um, on land that belongs to the Babylonian gods and the way people understand it is to actually say that this is Yahweh's territory too. The whole world is his. So, uh, yeah. So vocation, all that. And then we come to second Timothy chapter two, verses eight through 15. And, uh, really kind of building on, I like what you said last week about the importance of doctrine. And, um, I have heard so many people, well-meaning Christians, whether they're Episcopalians or, um, you know, I mean, just anybody. And you say, well, what's the gospel? And they're like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself. That is not the gospel. That is, that's the law. And so, um, and so right here, once again, Paul is stressing the importance of doctrine. And he lays out what his gospel is and what he's suffering for. And it's not for soup kitchens. It's remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, a descendant of David. You know, and this is the point of the Gospels, both like Luke and their genealogy, Matthew and their genealogy. Jesus is referred to as the son of David. This is a very important thing, but this is the Gospel for which Paul suffers hardship, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. Yeah, and uh, and there's this, um, you know, there's a little bit of a kind of a good cop, bad cop thing in here. Paul, again, he's running to a pastor. And it, oh, I thought you were talking about us. Huh. God, I think <laughs> we know who's the bad cop. Um, yeah. So, yeah, Paul's writing to a pastor who's younger than Paul, less experienced than Paul. And I think maybe a little bit 
I think I think Timothy might be having a bit of a down spell here because Paul has oh, to you write bet. so so many words like hold on Timothy hold on for one more day Wilson Phillips you know uh, there's a lot of like encouraging him don't let go hold on um, so I think Timothy is struggling a little bit and again in these early days of Christianity and this isn't the earliest days this is a little second generation you know Paul says you heard about the faith from your mom and grandma so this has been around for a while but there's still persecutions and there's still struggles if you're a Christian in the Roman Empire and so Paul is writing to Timothy in that difficult time and, and there he, are people there are people traveling around saying Timothy Paul is a nut yeah and, uh, you know, you're, you listen to that guy. I mean, I know he was your mentor, but that guy is a nut. And, um, and that's true. And so, and Paul is assuring him, listen, man, that, uh, that, um, I'm, I'm legit. I'm too legit to quit. <laughs> and actually, um, <laughs> there it is. But, um, but I love what he says here that although he may be chained, the word of God is not chained. And, uh, this is, this is the very, this is, this is what it is. The word is powerful. And it goes forth, um, whether uh, especially in the midst of persecution. What's the great saying that um, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the of the, of the, of the faith? Yeah. And so, and indeed, um, you can actually. The more we try and chain that word, the more and more powerful it goes forth. Yeah. And so Paul says he gives them this good word. Even if you're faithless, Timothy, if you if you're struggling, if you're doubting, just remember that he is faithful. He cannot deny That's himself right. because you are in him and he is in you. And, um, and then there's this, I think a good helpful word for all congregations to not fight over words. Um, and there's a lot of that that still goes on to in this day, uh, sadly, but, um, this, this poem that Paul gives, um, whatever, whether it's a hymn or not, whatever it is, is very powerful. And it's something that I think every, especially minister can relate to and it can be encouraged by, and your congregation can be encouraged by too. Just remember, if we've died with him, we will also live with him. And you died with him and you were buried with him, according to Paul in Romans, at your baptism. And then the word here, if we endure, we will also reign with him. The Greek word there, um, the endurance, is the endurance in the face of like serious, serious hardship. This isn't just kind of like, hey, man, we're going to like, you know, I'm just going to wait this out. This is endurance in the midst of real persecution. And so um, and uh, and that begins to make sense, because um, if we endure with him, we'll also reign with him is related to if we deny him, he will also deny us because there was a real temptation to like, I mean, bag it in. Um, however, he's not going to end on the law. He's a good preacher. He doesn't go law, gospel, law. He goes gospel and then gospel again. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Another way to translate that is, is if we are not faithful, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. So there's gospel encouragement there, especially for those of you who may be facing a clergy killer and for, uh, you know, you pastors in there, all it takes is really one person to wear you down. And uh, what Paul is saying is, is like, man, hang in there. This is a word of encouragement. Timothy, don't give up and neither you either because Jesus will not deny you. Yeah. And you, as he ends in verse 15, you're a worker who has no need to be ashamed, not because of your good mm -hmm. or bad deeds, but because you are righteous in Christ. Um, mm -hmm. And then there's some, so there's real freedom there to rest in him and not in yourself. 
Yeah, rightly explaining the word of truth. This is a very important uh, word here. Um, um, you can also translate rightly dividing the word of truth. And we divide the word of truth between law and gospel, and we see that there. And so, and when really you divide, you separate God's two words out like that, law and gospel, the Bible begins to make sense, and it begins to really speak to people, and not only their biggest pride, but their deepest mm. need and their deepest hurts. And man, when you can rightly divide that word of truth between law and gospel, I mean, there is nothing to be ashamed with because you have the power of God unto salvation. That's right. Uh, so remember, uh, your job, preacher, is to rightly divide the word of truth, and uh, I hope we're helping you do that. So let's do that for one more passage here, <laughs> Luke 17. Uh, we're continuing in Luke's gospel, continuing in chapter 17. We mm -hmm. uh, wrapped up last week with Jesus' instructions on uh, how to increase our faith and what do we do about that and his parable of the um, uh, this manager and servant. And now we move back into the narrative portion. Jesus finishes yeah. a little teaching, and now we're back on the way to Jerusalem, which just in that little phrase, there's so much there. This means that Jesus is going to die. Uh, there's a lot happening, and he's going... Uh, so we're this is we should be already imagining the cross, and then we see that Jesus is going through the region between Samaria and Galilee, uh, going south. He's headed south from from Galilee, going down to Jerusalem. Although you would always say go up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem's on a hill, um, and he enters a village, and the the these ten lepers approach him, uh, and so. Uh, if you're Jesus' disciples uh, and these 10 lepers start coming close to you, you're beginning to get kind of the heebie-jeebies a little bit. Mm. Uh, these folks are unclean. Uh, and uh, um, if you have contact with them, it makes you uh, ceremonially unclean as well. Uh, if you read Leviticus and you have to go through all these purification rites in order to uh, go to the temple. Mm. So, you know, Jerusalem is a location of the temple. To go to the temple, you have to be clean. As they're going to this mm. place where you have to be clean to get in, they're being approached by people who can make them unclean. So it's like yeah. it's like this thing you want to avoid. Yeah, it's this uh, the place where this event took place is actually in the West Bank, and uh, the church where this sits is a Greek church. And it's, it's actually, I believe, uh, one of, if not the oldest, um, oldest churches in the world. And so, the, like, longest-serving church in the world that hasn't been like destroyed and rebuilt and um, it's a very powerful place but yeah um, everything you hit on here is very important you have lepers who are outsiders and um, and Jesus heals them all and I think one of the um, the powerful points that are co is coming out of this passage is thankfulness because the only person thankfulness is not natural to people mm. it is not it is not in our gut at all i mean i remember when my kids were little i was constantly having to say thank you to them you know i mean i think everybody will agree the least favorite part of christmas is writing thank you cards um you know um you know uh you get in an accident or like you barely avoid an accident and you're like thank you jesus and then that that but that feeling is fleeting 
Uh, thankfulness is not natural. You got to really understand how far out you actually are um, for that response to be truly engendered within you. And uh, I think that that is one of the, the crazy teachings here that's coming out and that, that this, this illustrates is that not only do you have a leper, but he is a Samaritan leper, the only one who comes back. You know, and it's um, when we really realize how far we all are out there, we're all Samaritan lepers. Um, that and uh, but we've had a loving God who has come and with His wounded hands healed us. That really engenders when you realize that that engenders thankfulness. Yeah, and I think there's something in here. Again, you want to be careful about reading too much into the text because it doesn't say that this is what's going on in verse 14. Um, so he, Jesus says, "Go and show yourselves to the priests." I think that's a little bit like. Uh, I dare you to have faith in my power to heal um, in some sense, because the only reason a leper would go to the priest is once he or she has been healed of whatever has gone on, that person then needs to do rites of purification, some elaborate washing, sacrifices. And again, this is all Leviticus. Yeah, if you read it, it's very complex. Yeah, it's and it takes a lot of time, and it's very detailed. It involves some exfoliation and some sugar body scrubs and some hot stone treatments. <laughs> There's just a lot going on. Um, and so to say, go show yourself to the priest while you still have leprosy is like saying, I dare you to go. By the time you get to the priest, you will then be healed and then need to have the purification rites. Because the priest himself is not the healer. The priest is just the one that guides you through the purification to certify that you actually are healed so then you can go back into temple worship as a now well, ceremonially clean person. Well, but what this would have told the priest who would have seen this, because, you know, like you said, there there involves a body scrub and, um, you know, a, a complete body wax um, what this would have told the priest when these lepers showed up already healed was, holy crap, the Messiah is in our midst. Yeah. You know, because when you read this list, I mean, only the Messiah could do this. Yep. And uh, and so the point is, is that the Messiah is in our midst. But um, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, that's all. So you have one and, and Jesus is in our midst as well, <clears throat> you know. And I, what I, I mean, there's also some sort of scandalous grace here because all of them are healed. And not one of them has his healing revoked. Absolutely. Even your healing though, isn't contingent on your thankfulness. Right. So they, they go, and as they go, they are healed so that by the time they get to the priest, they are now able to go through the ceremonial washing and sort of recertification of being clean people who can worship. Um, mm -hmm. The only one who comes back is the Samaritan. And that's, again, as you said, Jake, What's significant about the Samaritan is that he's the one who was least likely to be accepted by the priest. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, the one who feels farthest away is most keenly aware of the grace that he's received. And so he's the one who has been loved much and therefore mm -hmm. who's been forgiven much. So he loves much. So he's the one that returns. Mm -hmm. But what's amazing is he never actually gets to the priest as far as we know from the story. So <laughs> Jesus says, go to the priest. He's on the way. He gets clean. And he immediately turns around and comes back to Jesus, which to me points out a little bit in a kind of a beautiful, sneaky Luke way that Jesus is the great high priest. Like he doesn't now need to go to the priests in Jerusalem because Jesus right. is the priest. That's good. And also, I mean, just like a side point is that healing is not contingent upon religion. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, healing is contingent upon um, Christ. And uh, and uh, that is a very powerful thing. And also, I, I just love that. And I think that the point is, is that the, the lepers weren't thankful and then they were healed. They were healed. You mm. know what I mean? And they weren't thankful. And really, isn't that a reflection of all of us sometimes? You know, I mean, we come in and we are given the riches of God's grace through the preaching of the word and then in bread and wine. And then we leave and we're just still as pissed off as we were when we <laughs> came in. Mm. But it doesn't matter. I mean, that isn't the defining. You know, it's not based on our behavior. It's based on God and his grace and mercy coming to us always. And this begins to open our eyes, I think, ultimately to the fact of how outside we actually are and can send us back in praising God and uh, giving thanks to him. Yep. Yeah. And Jesus always wants to show that faith exists in people where you wouldn't think it would exist and that God loves people that you don't think he should love. This Samaritan and obviously, and this is just two chapters after that story about the prodigal son and, and all of that, and which, again, that whole exchange came up because Jesus was hanging out with the wrong kind of people. Mm-hmm. So this there's a lot of gospel here. It's a beautiful story. Um, and it's it's I think the main idea here is people who understand how much they have been forgiven and how great God's love is for them tend to be people whose lives are transformed by that. Um, not because they're trying hard to prove something to God, but because they realize they don't have to prove anything. Um, mm-hmm. They've already been healed, and and it's uh, mm-hmm. that's where the Christian life comes from. That's good. That is a really that's a that's a good word for me, and uh, for all of us who are into uh, transaction twenty four seven. This is all gift given to you, and so uh, I think this is a good place to end. Happy preaching, everyone. And we'll see you here next week. All right. uh, Party on, Wayne. Party on, Garth. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him. But three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. And we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you like what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.